I never knew you. I'm not sure if there are four more terrifying words to hear or to contemplate this morning. Yet, by the Lord's hand, that is where we found ourselves as we've continued our journey through Matthew's gospel and come to the seventh chapter, verses 21 through 29. The statement, I never knew you, I think it's terrifying, and for me, it conjures up maybe four reasons. One, because of who says it, Jesus. Number two, because of when he says it, at the last judgment. Third, because of what it means, hell for all eternity. And four, because of whom it speaks. He speaks to many who will find themselves in churches all their lives and have no idea that it's them. This morning as we come and begin to try to wrestle with this passage, I think it's important first maybe that we understand the gravity of which this setting takes place as it looks out to the precipice of eternity, of heaven and hell. And so just for a moment, I want to contrast them to let you begin to wrestle with the reality of what it would mean to hear, depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. Listen to this as we compare them for a moment. Heaven is a place of glorious light. Hell is a place of darkness. Heaven is a place of health. Hell is a place of suffering. Heaven is a place of purity. Hell is a place of sin. Heaven is a place of truth. Hell is a place of lies. Heaven is a place of worship. Hell is a place of self-love. Heaven is a place of no tears. Hell is a place of weeping. Heaven is a place of joy. Hell is a place of sorrow. Heaven is a place of eternal life. Hell is a place of eternal death. Heaven is a place of pleasure. Hell is a place of pain. Heaven is a place of peace. Hell is a place of torment. Heaven is a place of satisfaction. Hell is a place of thirst. Heaven is a place of forgiveness. Hell is a place of bitterness. Heaven is a place of restoration. Hell is a place of damnation. Heaven is the dwelling of God. Hell is the suffering place of Satan. Heaven is the place of Jesus' kingdom. Hell hell is the place for those who never knew Him. Feel Him for a moment. Just these truths that arise from Scripture defining the characteristics of these two places, heaven and hell. And that is the context in which Jesus speaks to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart unto hell for all eternity. 
this text and the reality of what Matthew 5 through 7 of Jesus' sermon here, this sermon on the mountainside known as the Sermon on the Mount, is a reminder to us that our church-going, Bible-reading, ministry-serving has mold, mold or, or has lulled many of us into a false sense of security. As if we maybe can do enough to satisfy Christ that He will welcome us in. Furthermore, we may even be, be tempted to think that we're heaven-bound because we have said the right thing at some point or prayed the right prayer. This text of what Jesus is preaching here and Matthew presents for us is a reminder that outward doing appears to be right. But Jesus, God, is ultimately after your heart, beloved. So the question to you today is this. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Today we're going to consider three Three questions or three ideas that we're going to wrestle with. One is there's two things that won't save you that Jesus is going to share with us. We might ask in response, if that won't save me, then what will? And then leave with maybe non-adaptations or non-identifying characteristics of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to live in response to this text. So let's begin with it. Two things that won't save you, and these are heavy. You gotta stay with me. Listen intently to the word today. Two things that won't save you. Jesus begins in Matthew 7 verse 21 by saying these words to us. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The title Lord here is a title that's used of God in the Old Testament. It's a sense in which these people are coming. Again, he's speaking of a group of people. Right? We're going to wrestle with that more in a moment. But he's speaking of this group of people that come to him and make this statement, Lord, Lord, like I'm confessing that you are deity. You are the son of God. I mean, let's be honest. This, when I read this and I began to study, I feel like maybe it contradicts even with what Paul says in Romans 10. I mean, like doesn't Paul say in Romans 10... But if you, because, he says verse 9 here, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he, no, he makes this statement, right? You will be saved. It feels like that we are to confess. One confesses and is saved. That's what he says in verse 10. But when we look at the text right here of what Paul says, I intentionally came to it, one, not only because it seems to contradict what Jesus is saying here, but two, also what it, I believe, allows to rise to the surface that we need to examine. And notice it's this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, notice what he says here, believe what? In your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's his reasoning why. Four. He says, with the heart, one believes and is justified. So the belief in the heart is a response, right, of what's happening in the surface. That there are those who come and make a profession with their lips, but their hearts are not in it. They sing the songs on Sunday, but they're not engaging in, in true, genuine worship. It's lip service. And so Jesus here speaks to us in Matthew 7 to say, listen, not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's people that on that day will think, Lord, I, I, I thought I confessed the right thing. 
It's this truth. Right doctrine won't save you. That's the first truth. Right doctrine won't save you. Listen, why? Because we have these professors of the right words, but their hearts are not attached to the words, beloved. You're going to see that throughout the sermon of Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus is constantly coming after your and my heart. Because the outward can always fool. That's why it's hard to recognize false prophets, because outwardly they look right, but inwardly Jesus says it's where they are wolves. Thus we might say today, you can't know Jesus apart from knowing right doctrine. But you can know right doctrine apart from knowing Jesus. Think about it again. Slow down just for a moment. You can't know Jesus apart from knowing the right truth, right? The right doctrine, right? Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You have to know something about the fact that Jesus is Lord. You have to know something about the fact of his death, burial, and resurrection. His death in your place for your sins. You have to know that. So you can't know Jesus apart from knowing right doctrine. But you can know those truths and not actually know him. So knowing the right verses, the right mantras, and even the right doctrines and truth is not sufficient for salvation. But not only that, listen, even the emotion and passion is not enough. Listen to what he says again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. There's this doubling that indicates intensity and emotion, right? I mean, you remember Abraham ready to sacrifice Isaac, and he hears as he takes the knife, ready to plunge it into his son. He hears from heaven what? Abraham, Abraham. It was there at the bush in Exodus chapter 3 as he looks, and he sees this side of this bush that's on fire, and it's not consumed, and Moses is drawn in, and he's, he's, he's looking, and, he's, and he hears from God, Moses Moses. I mean, you've probably experienced it, or maybe you've used it yourself, right? There's been times when you probably messed up with your parents or a grandparent, and they not only called you by your first name, but also what? Your middle name. You knew there was some intensity, right? Usually when that middle name comes out, it's like, hold up, what's up, right? I mean, like, you usually knew that there was something, but there was some more intensity, there's some more emotion, there's some more like, hey, I'm drawing a line here, you hear See, these folks here, they're, they're, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, like there's, there's, there's intensity, there's emotion, right? And listen, we've been, we've been guilty. I've been guilty of even asking the question like, well, did you really mean it when you prayed? Like, did you really mean it? These folks appear to really mean it. Like they're saying, Lord, Lord, like there's an intensity, there's emotion. They had this moment in which, well, they felt like, man, I, I, I need to respond. I need to do something. But yet their hearts. Are not changed. So one, the right truth and the right doctrine won't save you. Secondly, right works won't save you. Watch where these people go to immediately. So again, listen to the context. Verse 21 of Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Watch what happens here. Watch where they go to. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, cast out demons. And do many miracles or mighty works in your name? Notice here that this, this statement of 
prophecy indicates that there's an indication of the context that speaks of a prediction about the future. They're speaking on behalf of the Lord. The indication here of casting out demons, I mean, like, that's what Jesus and the Twelve did. Like, I mean, that's like no easy work. I mean, and listen, I mean, is there anything more loving of your neighbor than to cast out the demon? I mean, that's, that's selfless. That's loving them. And then look at 30 says, do many mighty works indicates likely some indication of miracles. Like, I mean, can you imagine that resume? You walk up to heaven like, Lord, I've cast out demons. Lord, uh, look at my resume. I mean, check next to miracles. Lord, I've prophesied in your name. And, and, and look, now, I mean, that, that's interesting, isn't it? All three are in your name, in your name, in your name. They know to pray, right? In Jesus' name. We're just here in Jesus' name. I'm just, I, I, this is all about Jesus. They, they know the lingo. Lord, we did it in your name. Do you feel the weight of this text? I don't know anything other than to do when I hear this text is to run to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, rescue, redeem me, Lord. Have mercy on me. I mean, listen, again, I mean, you may not use the statements prophecy, cast out demons, mighty miracles, but maybe you think that on that day you will stand and say, Lord, didn't I go to changers? Lord, didn't I teach that Sunday school class? Lord, I was the preacher of the church. Lord, I drove the bus. Lord, Lord, didn't I feed those kids? Depart from me, I never knew you. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, isn't isn't this list, I mean, I have to be honest, this list is much more impressive than anything I could ever offer. I mean, that's an impressive list. And yet these people are going to hear from Jesus on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. The point of Jesus' sermon and why Matthew is recording this is not to create doubt in your salvation unless you are trusting in the things that you do to save you. And if that's what you're trusting in, then you need to fear today these words. And they should compel you to come and run to the cross for rescue and forgiveness and grace. This sermon is to compel all of us. This text is to compel every single one of us. The only solid rock is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. All other ground, no matter how good it is, it is sinking, Sam, beloved. I mean, as Paul says in Philippians 3, 8 and 9, he says that all of those other things that you and I so like to look to, he says, I can consider all of them rubbish. Paul is, is moving toward, I mean, he, he's... He's speaking in very strong terms, that, that language, rubbish. And that's what he's saying about all of his good works, all of his pedigree, his resume. The only thing that counts, he says, is faith in Christ. I mean, again, listen to Jesus' words, where this comes to, verse 23 of Matthew 7. And then I will declare to them, I never what? Never knew you. It's interesting, the statement right here, never knew Think about this. Think about that. I, I don't know if we'll have our cow days, but think about this. If we do have cow days this year and Jesus shows up and he's in a helicopter, 
All right, and as he looks in the helicopter, Jesus sees the entire Cowdays parade from beginning to end. He sees it all in one moment. Boom, snapshot. You and I, right, are sitting here looking, right, for the parade, and we're sitting in our seat, and we see it as it comes by. We see it here in little moments and, and, and moments in which it happens. In a similar sense, Jesus looks like as he looks over the parade, he looks over your entire life. He sees it from beginning unto end. And he doesn't say like, hey, at one point I noticed that you were passing out candy here. Like you seem to be really into this and genuine about your faith. And and now you're not. No, he says, listen, I never knew you. He's not fooled. There's not like a moment in which like, oh, I was saved and now I'm not. He says, I never knew you. You were never saved. This isn't teaching that you could somehow lose your salvation. Jesus is saying, I never at any point knew you. So I bring to you the big idea again today, the question you must wrestle with. Do you know him? Do you know him? Truly in your heart, do you know him today? I mean, listen, we've got to slow down. Why? Because I think the context forces us to slow down. I mean, I so often come to the text of the wide road and the narrow road. I think the wide road is the world. I think the narrow road is all of us in the church. But remember whom Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to the most religious people on the face of the earth. They seem like narrow road people. Why? Because they read their Bibles. They pray. They give. They fast. Right? They don't commit adultery. They're not murderers. They're not, I mean, like on and on. They do all of these outward things. And we might say, listen, I mean, in a sense, they go to church every week. And yet he says to them, I never knew you. Why? Because their hearts have not been transformed. And listen, maybe after hearing this, you're wondering like, well, if those things don't save me, then what will? If that one, if right belief, right, I mean, I can't believe enough of the right things. If I can't do enough right things, then like what will save me? Let's return back to the text for a moment. One, because this first truth, a true profession will save you, beloved. A true profession of faith will save you. Listen to what Jesus says again. We kind of broke it out, but a minute, let's, let's, let's jump in a little deeper. Listen to what he says. If you would just for a moment, scribble out the word, not in your Bible, right, of course, but on the screen, just imagine that word not is not there for a moment and listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 21. Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now he's saying the statement there again right at the first is that there's not. So it's not everyone. So what Jesus is saying to us is indeed implies that everyone who does enter will indeed confess that he is what? That he's Lord. Right? There's no like, oh, this is door number one for those that do this, and there's door number two for that. No, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am Lord. He's Lord. Listen, so don't hear this text and think, well, my profession doesn't mean anything. That's not what he's teaching. He's saying to us, listen, everyone who will come must come by true faith. And that faith happens in the heart and is a work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, listen, just because the confession of Jesus as Lord can be counterfeit doesn't mean that you and I shouldn't do it or shouldn't trust in it. I mean, that's what he's been teaching, right? I mean, the fact is that people can distort prayer and make it about them. And but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray. I mean, listen. Paul warns that we can take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. 
But does that mean that we should stop partaking the Lord's Supper? Brother Todd showed us last week in 1 Thessalonians 4 that intimacy can be abused. But does that mean that a man and a woman, I mean a husband and a wife shouldn't enjoy it? Do you see how, listen, anything, although it's good, can always be distorted. And that's why Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He takes what looks good and looks true and just distorts it to a counterfeit. And that's where these cults and all of these false religions come from. They speak the similar lingo. They could even say, Lord, Lord. But there's not a work of the Holy Spirit inside, beloved. We mentioned Paul earlier in Philippians 3, but for a moment, let's listen just at Paul's profession. Listen to what he says, verse 9 of Philippians 3. After he spoke about the fact in verse 8 that everything else is rubbish compared to Christ and knowing Him. Look what he says, verse 9. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own. That's what we're after. A righteousness of my own. That's what those who have come. Remember, Lord, did we not? Lord, did I not? Did I not? Did I not? Lord, did not? I mean, Lord, I, sh- I, I made myself righteous, Lord. I was doing those things, Lord. Paul says that righteousness he did not have that comes from the law. That was Paul's former way. But now, listen to what's happened. But that which, notice what he says here, comes through what? Faith in whom? In Christ. He says it's the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's the good news. Listen, it is how those who who in Christ, look, what they do, they turn to their works immediately. Paul, listen, doesn't turn to his works. He keeps turning to Christ. Why? That's what we do as believers. Where else are we going to turn? All other ground is sinking what? It's all sinking sand. I mean, your good works are sinking sand. Those good works are sinking sand. That good work's sinking sand. Now listen, that doesn't devalue our works, beloved. No. Those works are affirming that that true profession is real. But if you're depending upon those works, that's sinking sand. You with me? It's sinking sand over here to depend upon the works. This is the solid rock, faith in Christ, but it will manifest itself in works. You just can't start there and get there. You've got to start here and go there. You with me? So how does Jesus authenticate genuine professors? And I've kind of been sharing that, but I think it's this truth that doing the Father's will from a transformed heart will mark your life. It's, it's a genuine profession of faith. We've seen that. There's true professions. There's false professors and there's true professors. The true professors become true possessors of eternal life because they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so now they do the Father's will from a transformed heart. Look what he says again, back verse uh, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but, so again, he counters that, but he says, the one who does what? The will of my Father who is in heaven. Young's little translation I think, translates it in a way that maybe is helpful. It says this statement. It says that it is he who is doing the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's a sense in which it wasn't just something I did at some point. It's a continued doing. There's this, as we talk about, the perseverance of the saints. The saints continue to do the will of God. That doesn't mean that there aren't seasons in which you and I may get sidelined. We may step off into sin for a season. There may be moments in which you get derailed and do some things, or maybe you're not as faithful in the church as you wish you are, but by repentance and faith and the 
Paul says the kindness of God that is bringing you back to repentance. The fact that there is a good shepherd who is the watcher and overseer of your souls. He is bringing you back by the power of the Spirit. Maybe by this very word right now, beloved. He's using this word this morning. It's living and active and it's penetrating into your heart and your mind. And it is calling you back by the power of the Spirit. Back to the narrow path. Back to the narrow path. Back to the narrow path. So notice again, we have this statement, but the one who does the will of my Father. We have to ask, what is the will of the Father? Jesus is going to say to us in verse 24 that it's those who hear and does His words. They build their house, their life. It's patterned on His. But I think we have some further clarity here in verse 23. And He says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Notice what He calls them, you workers of lawlessness. Lawlessness can be described as though one's ideas are superior to God's. Lawlessness replaces the truth of God's word with what your heart desires. Contrary ideas and desires. And and the contrary ideas and desires reveal the issue. And the, the heart of the issue is a matter of the heart. And the heart desires to outwardly confess and do for the Lord. But inwardly, inwardly, maybe even secretively, The heart is ultimately ruled by self and sin. We just keep it concealed really well. Yet the genuine believer, as Jesus began his sermon in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in what? Spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The start of the sermon, we said, I believe it's just kind of like the key to the door that unlocks the rest of the sermon. It, 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 all of Jesus' sermon rests on the fact that you would never, ever measure up to what He's calling. And that you must run to the cross. You must be forgiven by faith that you can be indwelt by God's Holy Spirit that by the Spirit now you can live out these words. All glory be to Christ. So listen... Why? Because now as we listen and obey Jesus, as he says in verse 24, it's now done with joy and the power of the Holy Spirit. So maybe you're asking, well, what does a purified heart even look like? I just briefly want to remind you of of nine quick things of looking just briefly back. As Jesus' sermon finishes here in Matthew 7, just to look back for a moment, just to get a clear picture of what does it mean to have a transformed heart. So maybe nine ways to identify a follower of Christ. I know there are many more, but I thought these were core One, Jesus' followers forgive. Jesus' followers forgive. Matthew 5, 21 to 26. Religious people think they're good. Why? Because they haven't murdered or harmed someone. Jesus says, though, my people in their hearts, they're not ruled by anger. Today, who are you angry toward? You may hide that outward physical aggression toward others, but inwardly you are raging against those people. Jesus today calls you to repent and to go to that person, he said, and be reconciled. He said, stop offering the gift to the altar. Go get right with them and then both of you come back together. Again, as far as it depends upon you, beloved, live at peace with everyone. Secondly, Jesus' followers are cutting off lust. We heard in there in verse five, verses 27 to 32 of Matthew 5. Religious people think that they're good because they've never slept with someone that isn't their spouse. But Jesus says that my people are cutting off the lust that lurks in their heart. It's not only, and they are faithful to their spouse. Yes, it's outward, he says, but ultimately I am looking to the heart. Why? Because you can get the outward right, but the inward's still all jacked up. Just conceal it. 
Today, do you hear Jesus calling you to repent and to flee that sexual sin? Do you need to get accountability from someone in the church? Maybe you need to cut off TV or the internet or that phone or that relationship or that text message or that social media that is luring you towards someone that's not your spouse. Third, Jesus' followers seek peace. Religious people may say they want peace, but inwardly, Jesus says they're clamoring for a fight. Jesus says, my children strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit, even at great personal cost. It's costly. It's costly. I saw a brother just a few days ago, costly, laying down his life, trying to bring unity and peace. That's not easy. It will not be winsome to those folks. It may not be winsome to those folks, but praise unto God, it will be winsome to the King of kings and Lord of lords, beloved. Jesus' followers seek peace. I've got to ask, are you tearing others down even in the church? How are you warring against the temptation to gossip and speak evil of others? Fourth, Jesus' followers give humbly. Religious people just desire to have their gifts recognized. He showed us. But Jesus' people give secretly. When's the last time you gave secretly? When's the last time maybe you went to visit or made a phone call or did something just that nobody else knowed about but you, God, and that other person? Whether it's the sick, the poor, those in prison, how are you caring and living a humble life? Fifth, Jesus' followers pray privately. Jesus was telling us that religious people, they primarily pray in public and to be seen by others. Jesus says, my people, their private prayer exceeds their public praying. I want to ask, when do you consistently pray and where do you consistently pray? Six, Jesus' followers love him more than money. Religious people, Jesus has shown us they can give to the church But their main focus is upon the treasures of the world and being recognized. Jesus says, my people neither pride themselves on spending or saving, but instead on being good stewards. I want to ask today, what does it give you the most joy to give to? Today, are you looking for opportunities maybe to help someone that's less fortunate than you? Privately, secretly. Seven, Jesus' followers surrender their fears. Religious people think that somehow in their own strength, they can relieve their fears on their own. Listen, I want you to know, whether you think you have no fears or you have a lot of fears, the only answer for all of us is Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, my people, they have fears. But you know what they do? They relinquish those fears daily and moment by moment, crying out, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every what? Hour I need thee. That's it, our accent that, baby. I like it. So today, what are you worried about? Will you right here and right now surrender that to God? Trusting that in His perfect time and in a perfect way, He's going to meet your needs? Eighth, Jesus' followers judge actions in mercy. Listen, religious people assume they must know the heart motives of others. I've been guilty. I've been guilty of a lot of these, man. And the only thing I know that it makes me to do is to repent and to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, Lord. But Jesus says again, my people, they judge actions in mercy aimed at the restoration of that other person. What person or group of people of another race have you judged assuming that you know their heart motives? Is there someone right now in your life today or a group of people because they are a, a, of a certain political party that you have either labeled them or written them completely off just because they affirm this political position? 
Again, we can outwardly do the right thing. This is all about the heart, beloved. Ninth, Jesus' followers desperately need help. Religious people come and say, Lord, did we not do many miracles? Lord, did we not cast out demons? Lord, did we not, in your name, Lord, prophesy? But Jesus says, my people will come asking, seeking, and knocking, saying, Lord, help me. I need more of you and less of me. I need the Spirit's power, Lord. Help me, Lord. Jesus' followers desperately need help today. Do you see and hear this passage and realize the help that you need? There's rescue, beloved. And His name is Jesus. The truth is, listen, as you hear this, Jesus is not aiming primarily at your outward actions. He is looking to fillet open your and my heart. And you may fool this church. You may fool this community. You may be fooling your spouse, your mama, your daddy, whomever. But there is coming a day when Jesus says, and Paul, as he writes in the New Testament, that I will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of men and women's hearts. It's coming a day. Does, does that not compel you to come now? Why be exposed as a fraud then, beloved? Humble yourself now and come. Please don't leave that coming that day and hear the blessed and only Savior say, Depart from me. I never knew you. Please humble yourself now and cry out, I need thee, Lord, please. Jesus closes his sermon with this parable, and so this is how we will close this sermon and the sermons on Jesus' sermon. Verse 24, Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Beloved, there was an ultimate storm and it came on the cross with a divine wrath and justice and judgment towards sin of Almighty God was poured out and His Son lovingly, as we sang there, for God so loved the world, His Son came and stood in your place bearing that justice, that storm came upon Him in your place. That's the only foundation that will survive the judgment on that day. Today, I simply ask, do you know Him? If you don't today, would you repent and believe just as Paul, just as Jesus has been teaching us, come confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your only hope of salvation, as you, as the work of God's Spirit through His Word, compels you to believe and trust only in Him. All other ground, beloved, is sinking sand. It will sink you for eternity. God, please help us. Help us believe, Lord. Help us overcome our unbelief. Beloved, do you believe in Him? Do you truly know Him? Do you truly? I pray you do, beloved. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray now that you would draw men and women, boys and girls, to you. Father, please, Lord, I, I long, God, that there not be any here. There not be any on on. 
who are watching and listening. Lord, I pray there not be any anywhere, God, please, who will not repent and believe on You. Father, please place them in our path this week that we can share with them. Please, Father, for those who are here this morning, I pray that the truth of Your Word by the power of Your Spirit has opened their eyes to see I'm on the wide road. I'm trusting in something other than Christ. Father, please, by the power of Your Spirit and the truth of Your Word, would You cause them to come and believe, Lord? Would they believe confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? I hope in You, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.